Welcome to this week's episode of the English Class, more specifically, Talking Tolkien. Uh, this represents the beginning of the end. Well, no, last week was the beginning of the end for the Silmarillion. Now we're actually at the end of the Quintus Silmarillion, which is the kind of proper meat of the Silmarillion book. So this is the final chapter for all intents and purposes. Uh, after this, we have a few epilogue chapters to get through uh, that primarily talk about the state of the world after the events of the Silmarillion and leading up to the book The Hobbit, which we will be reading next. Uh, now we're going to be talking about chapter 24 of the Silmarillion that details the fall of Morgoth and kind of like future hope of the elves. So please enjoy. That time we made um, baklava. Yeah, and we have been saying for like a long time, hey, why don't we make baklava again? Well, we could go get some phyllo dough after this and make baklava. To go with our... Vaguely Greek everything? everything. Vaguely Greek everything. (laughs) Of the vaguely Greek Greek everything. (laughs) Uh, Yes. We're just just talking in like Silmarillion chapter name speak now. Well, there's like one, there was like one passage in this, in this chapter that was like, of the, and then then something of the, and then then of the again. And I was like, oh God, it it has finally happened. This book has eaten its own ass. It's like, it's everywhere. Um... Let me see. Every single chapter begins with of the every every single one. Because of the beginning of days yeah. of Awili and Yavanna, of the coming of elves and the captivity of Melkor, of Thingol and Melion, of Eldamar and the princesses princes of the Eldalie, of Feanor and the unchaining of Melkor. Are you going to do this? Of the Silmar- all twenty four of them right now. Of I, men. I was going to until you snapped well, me. You're 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 wasting my breath. Yeah, okay. I, I, I my There should be like a gay bar called of men. Of the voyage of Arendelle. So yeah, so here we are. The War of Wrath. The of last, the War of Wrath. The last uh, chapter of the Silmarillion proper, as it were. Um, we've come a long way. Twenty-four chapters. Twenty, yeah, twenty-four chapters, and we are. We're, it's been a long we should, time. It's, <laughs> we, should, uh, we should do a, a bracket with all the chapters and find out which one is the best. Which one? We could do Battle of the Silmarillion chapters. Yeah. <laughs> I can only think of a few that get knocked off pretty Well, quickly. I can tell you, like, this one's, like, one of the saddest and leaves leaves me know. with... I think it's also, in some ways, one of the most beautiful. It is, but I... And we'll get to it at the end because I have I have feelings to discuss. But you read this chapter. <laughs> this chapter is, like, what, 12 like pages 12 long? 12 pages, yeah. And you read it and you're like, what were you thinking, Tolkien? You just told, like, 200 pages of story in 12 pages, where previously you gave, like, <laughs> 45 pages over a single human. Okay, yeah. so of the so, voyage of Irindil and the War of Wrath. It's important, though. I want to know before we jump into this. Uh, let's remember previously what we had looked at. Whip, so, whip, whip. last time <laughs> we had talked about the fall of Doriath and the fall of Gondolin. So these were the last yeah. of the sort of strongholds standing against um, Morgoth. Bad thing and after bad thing. There was something that had happened. Um, so remember, uh, Ulmo. Was kind of protecting Tuor because he because he loved him. <laughs> he was like, I, I'm going to protect this guy. He's he's awesome. So Ulmo had asked the Valar to help the elves um, to help them win back the Silmarils and defeat Morgoth. And the Valar were kind of like, mm. nope. 
Mm. Not yet. They So they had a stipulation that only if someone pleads on behalf of both elves and men, and if they basically, like, beg for pity for, uh, for you know, all of their sorrows and all of their misdeeds and whatnot, so... Basically a borderline it was like this impossible situation. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, you know, the Valor will only step in on this condition. So, yeah, so now here we have chapter 24 of The Voyage of Arendelle and the War of Wrath, which is a great, great name okay. for a war. So I just want to go through this because the genealogy is actually really important in this chapter. It, it really was. It it, it's so complex that unless you actually look at the tables, you're not really going to get it. Okay, so Arendelle is the son of Tuor and Idril. So Idril is the... Um, the daughter of Turgon, mm-hmm. and Turgon is the son of Fingolfin, mm-hmm. who is brother, half brother to Feanor. So, uh, Irondil is of the same blood mm-hmm. of Feanor, but he's also half elf. Yes, he is not. He is not because... a son of Feanor. Yeah, and then um, uh, so then son of Idril, and then son of Tuor. So Tuor is the son of Huor and uh, right. Rian, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, who is the daughter of Belagund, who is the daughter of Bregolus, who is the daughter, or is the son of Bregor, who is the son of Bayor the Old. Uh, and then Huor, of course, is the son of Galdor and Hereth, and brother to Huren. And they are sons of, or they are grandsons of Hador. Yeah. Uh, so lots of famous lines coming together. And then. So basically, Arendelle is like, you know, it's the coming together of two great houses, one from elves and one from men. But he marries Elwing, yep. who is the daughter of Dior, who is the son, of course, of Baron and Luthien, Baron being of men, men mm-hmm. and Luthien being half Maya, half elf. So this couple is, is, is very. Um, Everything comes together with them, and it's like the it's like the kind of power union of Middle Earth at this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's pretty great. So you know, Arendelle. Uh, we're, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna learn in this chapter that Arendelle is pretty awesome. Okay, so they have two children together. One is named Elrond. That was like right off the bat. Yep. I was like, I know that name. You, you should know this yeah. name. I know yeah, that and, name. And, and the other is Elros. Elrond will factor Elros, very yes. heavily. Elrond factors heavily into all of the, hap- the major happenings in the first age, the second age, and the third age. And we're of course going to see him uh, in our next readings. So yeah, so just keep in mind, Elrond has in him the blood of Fenway. Mm-hmm. So the blood of Fanor, effectively, uh, the blood of uh, Melian. The oh. blood of Baron. Yep. So listen to what that person the says. The blood of Tuor, and yeah. so all the way back to Bayor. So Elrond is part man, part elf, and part Maya. Yeah. Elrond is pretty amazing. I mean, Unified, if you didn't already know that. Unifying all the different people that are... This is it. Mm. So, I feel like with that whole thing, this person will be important in the future. Yes. So, so yes. even though Arendelle is half-elf, and Elwing is... Half man, Irindil uh, is considered to be of man, and Elwing yeah. is considered to be of woman. I mean, of, of elf. woman, of, of elf. <laughs> of the coming of women to yeah. the. Earth. I mean, she is a lady, but. Uh. And so, um, their kids, Elrond and Elros, are called half elven, which I mean is not incorrect because they're yeah. both kind of half elf from each side, but yeah. they're specifically called here the half elven. Um, so, yes. So Arendelle, um, you know, they're all had been, 
you know, living by uh, the mouth of the Syrian. Yes. And he's kind of feels this intense longing for the sea that we've seen before. Um, you know, the sea keeps calling us home, right? Um, and he also wanted to find his parents. Um, so, because they had sailed away long ago and have not come ever come back. Away. Come <laughs> could, could, have, away. could have reached the other side or mm-hmm. probably died. You know, it's about a 90% chance mm-hmm. for one, and 10% chance for the other. So he wants to look for his parents, but also he has a very special errand. Um, ha, errand deal. Ha, 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 to, ha, 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 ha. He wants to ask Tolkien the Valar. Intentionally did. <laughs> he, 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 no. no, he, he wants to ask the Valar for help. He wants to fulfill the prophecy this, because yeah. he is half man, half elf. And the situation is dire, right? Um, Irendil, called half elven. Oh, okay. The blessed, the bright, and the mariner, son of Tor and Idril, Turgon's daughter, escaped from the sack of Gondolin and wedded Owing, daughter of Dior at the mounds of Sirion, etc., etc. The name means lover of the sea. Yep. Well, okay, yeah, which you're is right. perfect for him. Um, so he so he gets together with Círdan, who is this the great shipbuilder, and Círdan builds him this really magnificent ship um, that it's named Vingilot. And... Well, okay, so Kiron dwelt on the... Uh, Kirdan, sorry. Mm-hmm. Dwelt on the Isle of Balar with those people. So, yes, that's the island in the the Bay of Balar, which is by... Which, I mean, the river Syria. That was the island when, like, the, when one other chunk of land was pulled off. Yeah. Yes. It that was, was like left the, behind. I remember so, something. So, like, this the is the sister of the Lonely Isle. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, the, yes, they build a ship together and he names it... Vingalot. Vingalot? Yeah, Vingalot. I want to see an awesome, like, Vingalot building montage. Which, which, okay. With wings of an angel. No, it's... <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a pretty, like, it's, it's described pretty spectacularly. And the name Vingalot means, uh, foam flower, which like is that. really... That's cool. Isn't yeah. it cool? It's just cool. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing ship. Um, it's, that like a lot of songs are sung about it, and it's remembered for you know well, all of its greatness. Fair, fairest of the ships of song, golden were its oars and white its timbers, hewn in the birch woods of Nimberthil, and its sails were as the argent moon. In the lay of Arundel is many a thing sung of his adventures in the deep and in lands untrodden and in many seas and in many isles. But Elwing was not with him, and she sat in sorrow by the mouths of Sirion. So he went up and left his folks. Yeah. Well, because uh, again, so Arundel had like. Basically, he he knew that it was prophesied that one person could yeah. kind of do this thing, and that was him. So, also recall Elwing being the daughter of Dior possesses the Silmaril. Yeah. So, so Arendil sets out, and he doesn't find his parents, of course, and he couldn't find Valinor either, because remember, Valinor is like guarded by um, enchantments and um, it's like you know, it's yeah, it's it's the unplottable land basically he entered um, something though i mean i, I had on here yeah. he entered he like I, this part i really liked because the description was he entered into the streets of Tyrion. oh that was and, later oh okay i'm ahead yeah, of myself yeah. right okay um because because so you much know, happened in this chapter in such a little bit of span of time yeah that i kind of got stuff mixed up yes so long story short uh madros finds out that elwing has the Silmaril and is just living with the remainder of the peoples of Doriath and Gondolin at the mouth of the Syrian, and thus was the third and the most wicked of the um, slayings of Elf. Yeah, kinslings, yeah. yeah. This is happening still. Oh my So, God. because, again, like, this, the, the oath keeps on rearing its ugly head every time, and even though Medros feels like 
intense remorse and really doesn't want to do this. this. It's, you know, they're bound by this oath. It's a blood oath that they swore. So, yeah, um, this finally, the third, um, and it, yeah, it it was called the cruelest of the slayings of elf by elf, which is pretty, pretty bad. So, yeah, the. Oh, so, yes. And so most people die. They capture Elrond and um, Elros. Yep. And uh, Maedros and Maglor. Maglor are the only sons remaining. Uh, so Gilgalad came to, to, to help them, but it was too late. And Elwing had vanished. She cast herself into the sea wearing... With the Silmaril. Yes. Yeah, wearing the Silmaril upon her breast. So, of course, you know, the result of this, like, sack of the havens of, um, of the Syrian... Um, did not result in the Sons of Feanor regaining the Zilmaril. They failed. Nope. Um, but Ulmo, once again, Ulmo is our friend, um, he brings Elwing up out of the sea and gives her the form of, like, a giant white bird. Bird form. Which is pretty With, with the Zilmaril shining bright yeah, upon her breast. Upon her breast. Um, so she flies away to look for Arendil. Um and finally she comes to him and he sees her like through this great cloud. Well, because he sees the light of the Silmaril. Yeah, he sees the light of the Silmaril shining and she goes like crashing into the boat and uh, wake, wakes up in the morning um, in his arms and she's in her natural form again. No longer a bird. So the two of them are of course, intensely sad because of what had happened at the at the Havens, and they're also worried for their sons. Um, but they decide not to go back. Yeah, but yeah, they, we're still on this. We're still yeah. going. Well, they have this mission, right, that they're on. Um, thankfully, though, so Maglor, who uh, is Medros's brother and one of the only two sons of Feanor now remaining, uh, kind of took pity on the boys and so did not kill them, <laughs> which was awful nice of him. Um, and he he. Became to, he became attached to them and you know um, treated them well. And again, they're you know this oath is weighing on them, and they feel intensely burdened by the oath. I feel like this is the one area where, like, this is the one chapter where that oath became like well, it, wrapping everything up. So yeah. the oath is coming into like fullest biggest form yeah and again so they're they're so weary and they know what they've done and there's there's been you know multiple kin slayings now and so much death and ruin and uh but they're still bound by this oath so it's this it's like tearing you're tearing me apart (laughs) (laughs) well they're being pulled in so many different directions of like like they feel like they're on weird autopilot yeah seems like it mostly at this point yeah so um arendale believes that there's no hope left for middle earth now um, so he and, uh, and Elwing go again to search for Valinor. Whatever's ahead of us is the future. So they're, you know, they're on this great ship and he's standing there wearing the Silmaril. Um, and so it's shining kind of at the front of the boat. And that is probably why they succeeded. It, was yeah. Because it, was, it, was, it was like a beacon that cut through the fog of the unknown. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I like the passage, um, that's about that part. So it says, And the wise have said that it was by reason of the power of that holy jewel that they came in time to waters that no vessels save those of the Teleri had known. And they came to the enchanted isles and escaped their enchantment. And they came into the shadowy seas and passed their shadows. And they looked upon Tol Erisea, the lonely isle, but tarried not. 
and at last they cast anchor in the bay of Eldamar, and the Teleri saw the coming of that ship out of the east, and they were amazed, gazing from afar upon the light of the Silmaril, and it was oh, very great. That's right. There are elves still here. Yeah, yeah the Teleri. Oh, I forgot about Remember, that. Remember, the Teleri yeah, right. had not yeah. left. And yeah. the, um... And then the, the Noldor under Fingolfin. Yeah, yeah that's right. Noldor. Oh man, I almost forgot and, yeah. about that. And the uh, and the the Vanyar. Yeah, so, and the, the Vanyar are basically untouched because they yeah. didn't even get slayed. Yeah, the Teleri got the worst of it. Right. Um, I like this because it's kind of like, well, I like he singles out that he passed to Lurasea because it's kind of like returning home for the ship in a way because it's from Kirdan. Yeah, who settled originally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. So yes, then then Irendil, first of living men, landed on the immortal shores. They spoke then to Elwing and those that were with him, and there were three mariners who had sailed all the seas beside him. Falathar, Erolant, and Erendir were their names. And, and Irendil said to them, Here none but myself shall set foot, lest you fall under the wrath of the Valar. But that peril I will take on myself alone for the sake of the two kindreds. So because they are all derived from the... Or they are all Noldor, he doesn't want them to, like, Anger man way, basically. Yeah. Although even, I mean, Arendil is also of the Noldor, but he is also of man. Yeah. So. so he's, and he's, again, this is like the, what the the Valar had set out before uh, that, you know, someone must plead on behalf of both the yes. elves and the men. And so Arendil is like the perfect candidate to do this. So yeah. So Arendil finally comes uh, into the city and it's like a time of festival. So there aren't too many people around. And he gets really worried because he doesn't see people there. So he's thinking, oh, uh, like some kind of great evil has come here at last and we're all doomed. <laughs> well, and it's also, it's, it's, it's pretty, or it's, there's another nice kind of, um, I guess, completion of a circle here because Erendil yeah. uh, is the son of Idril, daughter of Turgon, founder of Gondolin, and now he is in... Uh, like the actual city yes. that Gondolin had been modeled after. Tyrion. Yeah. And it, it's it's really great. So Arendelle is constantly described as now from from this point on as having this like radiant glow about him. Like you know the dust that's on his feet is like diamonds. You know, um, so he. This is a really cool image. Yeah, yeah. So Arendelle like shines, um, and we'll see why. But it's, so he he was actually turning back to leave because he well, had uh, not seen anybody. So he, he, called, on here. he yeah. called aloud in many tongues, both of elves and men, but there were none to answer him. Then yeah. he turned around. Yeah, so then he turns around, and then finally Anwe, who is the herald of Manwe, calls out to him. Yo, what's up? <laughs> now he says, Hail, Erendil of Mariners Most Renowned, uh, the looked for that cometh at unawares, the longed for that cometh beyond hope. Hail, Erendil, bearer of light before the sun and moon, splendor of the children of earth, star in the darkness, jewel in the sunset, radiant in the morning. So, so yeah. So Anwe is the herald of Manwe, summoning him. Yeah. So he takes he takes Arendil to the, into Valimar and sets him kind of before the Valar. Um, and the Valar talk, and they talk to Ulmo, and um, Arendil asks for them to pardon the Noldor and take pity on them and give mercy to the elves and men um, and come to their aid. Please, God, do it. Please. <laughs> oh, we can't. Ugh. And his prayer was granted. Okay. <laughs> we'll do that. Because that's what they wanted. That's all they wanted, right? Um, knock the dust off of them and just, like, shake that 
take it off. And... So now they need to decide what to do with Arendil, though, because he has set foot into the Undying Lands, right? Um, and no one who comes in there supposed to come is back supposed out. to come back out, really. Mandos and Ulmo are talking, and Ulmo says, well, this is what Arendil was destined for. Um, and he's also from from men and from elves at the so same time. So it works out. So, uh, But then Mandos replies, well, but the Noldor left, you know, of their own free will, and they decided not to come back. And so they can't come back. And then Manwe finally pipes up and says, you know, it's it's his say that that's the final word here. And he says that Arendil and Elwing and their sons um, will be able to choose freely whether they count themselves among men or elves and so whose fate they tie themselves to. So he kind of gives them like a free pass. So now at this point, so Arendil had been gone for quite a while and Elwing was, had been, you know, left there um, to wait and she was getting kind of worried. And so she's wandering around a bit and she comes across the Teleri at Aqualande. And uh, she starts telling them about Doriath and Gondolin and everything that had happened in Beleriand. And um, they kind of become friends. And then finally, um, Arendil comes and gets her and then brings her back to Valimar. And they're all told um, this, you know... What's going to happen. Faith that they've been given, that they can choose... Uh, where to align themselves. So Arendil is, just tells El- Elwing to choose because he's exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> so sleepy. This and, is the worst. Uh, and Elwing chose to be judged among the firstborn children of Iluvatar because of Luthien. Yeah. And for her sake, Arendil chose alike, though his heart was rather with the kindred of men and the people of his father. So that part's pretty cool, especially since they name-dropped Luthien like that. Yeah. And because... that, like, it's worth going with this because Luthien was kind of awesome. Well, and remember also that it kind of mirrors, like, you know... Luthien was allowed, so they brought Baron back from the dead, and then Baron and Luthien were allowed to, you know, like Luthien was allowed to choose her own fate too, to yeah. uh, you to know, tie hers to, tie to, hers to her fate to Baron's. So it kind of also mirrors that. So yeah, then um, Aonwe sends those three uh, other mariners that had been Arendil's uh, uh, companions. He sends them back to the to the east. And then with the, a great wind. With a great wind. <laughs> and then the Valar hallowed that great boat, Vingilot. And uh, they sent it to, like, out into the void, outside the world. With the, the, the Silmaril at its, at its brow. Yeah, I didn't quite understand that part at all. It so, basically turns into, like, a spaceship <laughs> with the Silmaril yeah, on Yeah, I, I get... And I, he just, like, explores space. What's happening is described in this passage and uh, we'll decipher it and figure out what uh, Arendil is now. So, uh, now fair and marvelous was that vessel made and it was filled with a wavering flame, pure and bright. And Arendil the Mariner sat at the helm, glistening with dust of elven gems. I love that. That's and a good the, one. And the Silmaril was bound upon his brow. Far he journeyed in that ship, even into the starless voids, but most often was he seen at morning or at evening, glimmering in sunrise or sunset, and he came back to Valinor from voyages beyond the confines of the world. So he became a star yes. seen on the horizon. So he became a modern... We- okay. is Venus. Venus, okay. 
So the morning star and the evening star. Yeah. So this is like this element where we've not had stuff like this for quite some time. That's probably why this kind of like flew in my head a little bit. Yeah. So remember, this is like some early book stuff happening at the end of the book. Well, and remember like how this, like the sun and the moon had been set in the sky with like you know guides uh, to to keep them on a certain track. So that's kind of Arendelle's role now. Um, He's this great star that people look up and see and love. So I, I'm going to briefly derail here um, because more in this chapter than any other Tolkien I've read do I find like immense thematic similarities with um, C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I can't help but think that The Voyage of the Dawn Treader was largely inspired by The Voyage by of the Yes. Uh, furthermore, if you've read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, which is pretty damn good, even if you don't like how uh, heavy-handed Narnia can be, the Space Trilogy is rather fascinating um book two takes place on venus and is all about um how, how venus is kind of this untapped world where the vo- the kind of the purity is only beginning to be corrupted by evil mm-hmm. and so i i don't know it just like yes it, oh, it, yeah. it came back yeah yeah exactly you can yeah um you can see some things that were clearly inspired by tolkien and and Lewis is right. I mean, they got and drunk they, like twice a week. They were, yeah, they were, they were great friends. But of course, they did have uh, major disagreements with each other too, which was kind of, yeah, it's kind of always fun to hear about. But so but once, yeah. all, all all great friends do. Like, mm-hmm. I can't believe you don't like the Yankees. <laughs> so we got all right, a timer going. Not really a timer, but a counter. We had three Silmarils. Mm-hmm. Yes, one was taken away from Morgoth and is now in the stars. That's right. out of touch. No one can get to it. That's done. Right. Two we got still, two more left that are yeah. still on Morgoth. Yeah. We still have two that we need to recover. Um, so, and then it says, On this journey's Elwing did not go, for she might not endure the cold and the pathless voids, and she loved rather the earth and the sweet winds that blow on sea and hill. Thereafter there was built for her a white tower northward upon the, borrow, sorry, the borders of the Sundering Sea, and thither at times at all the seabirds of the earth repaired. And it is said that Elwing learned the tongue of birds, who herself had once worn their shape, and they taught her the craft of flight, and her wings were of white and silver gray. And at times, when Irondil returning drew near again to Arda, she would fly to meet him, even as she had flown long ago, when she was rescued from the sea. Then the far-sighted among the elves that dwelt in the lonely isle would see her like a white bird, shining, rose-stained in the sunset, as she soared in joy to greet the coming of Vingolot to Haven. Oh, and then later Very on, nice. it says, in Middle-earth, they name uh, Vingolot Gilastel, Star of High Hope. Yeah. I like how... And, Flight is a craft. It just made it seem like anyone could learn it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, cool. yes. And well, she's, she's also got wings now, but whatever. So, Madros sees Gilastel and says, Surely that is a Silmaril that now shines in the West. Huh. So, so now. Weird. But so, I feel like I want to go up to that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go to there. So, Megla replies, Well, if that's true, then that's all right, because we can be sure that it's safe from harm up there. Like, no evil can touch it. But then we uh, have just a little interlude about what Morgoth is thinking now. Oh, hum. Um, My head hurts. <laughs> but he's still thinking nobody can touch him. Exactly. He's, he's thinking so he's powerful. safe from the Valar. He's thinking that the, the Valar are never going to come out of the West. Um, they wouldn't come in here and wage war against me. Um, and he's you know become very prideful. Um, he also thinks that the Valar don't give a care at all about the Noldor. Um, but little did he know the Valar were at this time preparing their armies to go 
Which has got to be, like, this is like some early book epicness that happens in about uh, the span of about three pages. Well, so remember, remember the War of the Powers way at yep. the beginning? Yep. Yeah. We're finally going to get the Valar. Uh, well, this is the some save the day. This is what I really like about it, is the, the Noldor who are left in the West, like, t- take up arms. Yeah. And the Teleri, because they had been betrayed by the Noldor, refused to participate in the war, but they do offer ships to ferry them to yeah. the East. And I really like that. It's, it, you know, it's like, there there's this, this, this debt that shall never be repaid, but we shall still like, and, come to your aid. Yeah, and they had managed to, you know make amends to the point of being able to help but it was just like we're not going to get off the ships yeah uh, none of them do we're, we're no. not going to set foot on that land so no no Tiliri had ever uh yeah set foot on in, in, in middle in, earth this is we don't like you but we know this is bigger than our little like it, problems it we also got right now. it also reminds yeah. me of the uh, lind lease program we had with Great Britain before we officially entered World War Two, where it's oh, like yeah, we yeah. can't officially help you, but we're going to build ships and lease them to you for free. Yep. So yeah, uh, here come an the, actually yeah. terrifyingly massive army yeah. that is just coming out of the West. The Valar come towards, marching one by one, <laughs> coming towards Anbon, and I, I mean, it's, this is the part where where Morgoth we thought was like. Throwing out all of his power, this time he throws out literally everything. Everything, and they yeah. beat they beat back everything. Uh, all the Balrogs die except for a few who mm-hmm. hide in caverns untold. Wonder and if we'll see one again. This, by the way, so this war, this great war between the West and the North, it's called the Great Battle or the War of Wrath, which, of course, uh, hence chapter title. World War One. Um, so, <laughs> so Morgoth then sinks to the kind of deepest caverns and sends out his final uh, his uh. <laughs> sends out his final army of dragons uh which are stronger and, and greater than any dragons yet seen and this is my favorite part oh this part's great yeah so this part's amazing the valar like tunnel under the earth to just like go grab him in his 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 tomb or his well catacombs. and so the dragons though so the the dragons are are there's like an air battle going exactly. on at night Led by Elwing. Led by Elwing and, and Thorondor. Yeah. And, and all the eagles and all of the birds. And, and Irindil sails the ship down from the heavens and kills the mightiest of the dragons. What would it be like seeing this? Just some regular, I know, like, like I, I, average Joe. Like, well, what? I, this is, you know, I'm not like espousing a, a cinematic adaptation of most of the Silmarillion, given what happened to The Hobbit, but... This would be pretty epic. It would be well, not not just that, but I think it could be handled quite beautifully because, yeah. like, the idea of this just like heavenly ship sailing down and like this man just like like, I, like I don't know through and, the dark too with the Silmaril yes, shining exactly. at the helm. And in my head, maybe this is kind of silly, but he kind of like riddicks himself. He just like hops off and just sails through and like grabs <laughs> the dragon like yeah. some pale, yeah <laughs> yes. Like, I, I'm totally on the same page with you there. Like I, again, so there there are moments in this in the Silmarillion that I think could be really beautiful striking scenes on film it's just the problem of being able to make it yes. i like on this moment morgoth's like uh peace pardon Parlay? <laughs> no, no. He, he sued for peace which is, oh yeah they, yeah they said you know previously at the very very beginning too which i find really really funny because suing for peace like is yeah. such a very specific technical term used in you know like war like yeah like 
Usually you sue for peace when you have been invaded. I guess Morgoth has been invaded, technically. Yeah, well, and that's that's what he, he's he's constantly on this, like... You're like, we can't defensive. fight anymore, please. Yeah. Just, just stop. So, yeah, the, um... They, he, so he's suing for peace, and then he's bound again by the same chain that he had been bound, you know, before b- before the starting of yes. uh, the start of the world. But, but really. they also take his crown, remove the Silmarils, and turn that into a, a neck collar, yeah. which is super Which crazy. is crazy. And he's bound basically like in a fetal position. Yeah. And um, they take the Silmarils from from his crown. Well, but but also Beleriand just sinks. Yeah, like it, you would think something so major would have more than like a single line, yeah. but it basically says most of Beleriand and Doriath just sink. Yeah, the rivers found new pathways. Which, and... like this chapter above all else, makes a lot of what I think. Like I was questioning why some of this stuff just doesn't show up later on, in like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and it's just reference to passing. And this is why mm-hmm. Morgoth is just taken away. His 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 uh, his um crown is just turned to something else and the land just basically sinks away the rent the, yeah the land changes like, like huge this stuff this stuff it eventually a point comes oh not only are people gonna have to like basically i had a big question about this entire book is like why do people start going south towards where mordor is and the shire which i think might get more explained later but I'm starting to see exactly why people well, were moving south. And remember that the great evil in this time is in the north. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, and at, uh, at the same time, it is said that uh, the the three kindred races of men, you know, battled with the elves. But the, the newer men, the Easterlings, some of them who had yet come into the, uh, you know, into Beleriand in that area, fought for evil. And the elves have never forgiven yeah. man for that. So now we've got, you know, we had... Oh, so yeah, we did kind of roll over that. Previously, yeah. we saw that there, the sort of beginnings of the tensions between the dwarves and the elves, and now we see, you know, back with... There there was that the betrayal with uh, the Easterlings. Um, so now we see this rift that had been caused between the elves and men, and we're going to see the remnants of that through the Third Age. Um, so they take Morgoth... And they seal him outside the door of time. What was it? The door of yeah, outside um, into the void, basically. In, yeah, basically into the void. Um, and they yeah. the uh, Anwe took the Silmarils and was guarding them for the time. And they t- they take them back to the west, and uh, the Noldor have basically been forgiven and are offered passage back into the west, and all go except for Galadriel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she sticks around. Yeah, she's obviously. Yes. <laughs> um, so Elrond chooses to be an elf. Uh, Elros is that his? El- El- oh my god, I just forgot the name. Uh, forget chooses to be man. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of elves leave Middle Earth, and um, Madros and Maglor among them, and they're like, "But we still have to get the Silmarils. We don't want to, but we have to." Brother, there there are two of us, and there are two and- Silmarils, and and you know guarded here one is unattainable so we shall each go for one yeah. so in the middle of the night they sneak in and they kill the guards and they steal the Silmarils because Anway had told them uh, that they had forfeited any right that yes. they could have previously claimed based on all of the stuff that they've done under that oath but explicitly the slang of Dior is like yeah. yeah that was a yeah. big deal and then when they're like running away uh, Majros 
like it's burning their hands as they're going. So I imagine they're like right. running, going ow, ow, well, ow, and, and, ow. And and in that they realize that they truly have. Oh God, what have we done? Forgiven, or they truly have lost their claim. Yeah, because remember that the so the Silmarils from the very beginning we've known that the Silmarils will be unbearable to touch if you're not worthy of it. So basically, at this point. None of the sons of nope. Feanor are worthy of well, and then of touching Maedros him. flings himself into like a fire-filled, basically hole. a volcano. Yeah, yeah, and and that now with, we got with the Silmaril. So now we got there. There's where one Silmaril ends up, just in the bottom of the earth. The Silmaril number two is somewhere in the bottom of the earth, and uh, and who knows where it is. And then Maglor throws Cast himself into the, the sea because again he couldn't stand yeah. the pain. Um, so now we've got Silmaril number three somewhere in the sea. Ha <laughs> ha! So they're all they are all now unattainable. Yeah. Um, so he, so then yeah so and thus it came to pass that the Silmarils found their long homes, one in the airs of heaven and one in the fires of the heart of the world and one in the deep waters. Good places from the beep. Right. It just I mean. No, I mean ultimately it seemed like it, 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 the way this world has gone after the trees were d- destroyed. There's no need for these things to be around. They're just causing problems. So they're gone. Thank God they're gone. If they, you know, if if they were able to exist without causing people to become wrathfully lustful of them, it'd be great. If we could just keep them safely, like in Valinor, for everyone to look at and admire because they're, you know, the remaining light of the trees, that'd be fantastic. But unfortunately, they turn people to madness. So, so now um, there's so, a fleet of ships that's made yes. for the Eldar to come into the west. So the elves of Beleriand dwelt upon Tol Arasea, the lonely island that looks both west and east, whence they might come even to Valinor. So they don't actually make it to Valinor, but they return to the west. Um, and they were admitted again to the love of Manwe and the pardon of the Valar, and the Teleri forgave their ancient grief and the curse was laid to rest. But it's important to note that not all of the Adalier leave Middle-earth, because yes. some of them just love it. So and... among these were Círdan the Shipwright and Celeborn of Doriath, with Galadriel his wife, who alone remained of those who had led the Noldor to exile in Valeriand. In Middle-earth dwelt also Gil-galad the High King, and with him was Elrond half-elven, who chose, as was granted to him, to be numbered among the Eldar. But Elros, his brother, chose to abide with men. And from these brethren alone has come among men the blood of the firstborn, and a strain of the spirits divine that were before Arda. For they were sons of Elwing, Dior's daughter, Luthien's son, child of Thingol and Melian, and Irindil, their father, was the son of Idril Celebrendal, Turgon's daughter of Gondolan. So, so yeah, basically the uh, highest race of men descend from Elrond and Elros, yeah. and that is the kings of Gondor. No, well, is that, the kings of Numenor. Is that, is that is that like connected though? It's we're connected. gonna yeah, we're and, gonna hear about that in, in, okay. in four thousand years. Yes, <laughs> in a little while. This is early. Um, I, yeah, that's the early stages yes, of it. Absolutely. So so yeah, and meanwhile Morgoth has been thrust out into the void, um, and. Uh, the the thing though here so the the ending of this chapter is why this is one of the saddest for me oh yeah um, yeah that's right so uh so you know morgoth has been cast out right um but tolkien writes 
Yet the lies that Melkor, the mighty and accursed, Morgoth Balglir, the power of terror and of hate, sowed in the hearts of elves and men, are a seed that does not die and cannot be destroyed. And ever and anon it sprouts anew and will bear dark fruit even unto the last days. Basically, this is why we can't have nice things. Yep. <laughs> this, this is this, why... This, is gonna stick, this, this stench is going to stick around yeah. for a while. This is why there's hate and evil in the world. This is why there's darkness. This is why there's bad things. Um, because it can't be undone. Here, the, the, the evil, you know, was there from the very beginning. And once, once there are, you know, lies and rumors that are spread and people become jealous or suspicious or whatnot, it can't be undone. This is why there are bad things. I want to read this part. Okay. All right. And here ends the Silmarillion. If it has passed from the high and the beautiful to darkness and ruin, that was of old and of old the fate of Arda marred. And if any change shall come to the marring, be amended. Manwe and Varda may know, but they have not revealed it, and it is not declared in the dooms of Mandos. So again, like. The history of Middle Earth is full of tragedy and really sadness, <laughs> and the and that's how it's always going to be. So, um, a little bit of Tolkien mythology, and stop me here if I'm giving something away that we will cover, Katie. But I do not believe we will ever cover it because I don't think it's in any of the books we're going to read. Is that drawing a parallel as I have been between? I mean, one, The Ring Cycle by Wagner, which I actually listened to today as I was reading this. <laughs> no, and literally, like, it ended at just as I was ending the chapter. Perfect. Because, well, I just listened to Das Rheingold. Because, really, this is kind of equivalent to Das Rheingold, which is a prequel which sets up, then, the trilogy that comes. But, undertoning that are these really crap, really sad cries of Rheingold, 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 which opened the opera in a very happy way because the three Rhine maidens who were set to protect the magic gold were like celebrating it. And then at the end, as they're entering the castle, there's, there is, it's, it's a refrain of that, but it's, it's very sad and it's foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's beautiful, but it's sad. That's exactly yeah. what this is. So beyond that though, like I said, I was going to tie this in mythology um, at the end of the ring cycle. And then at the end of Norse mythology is, is Ragnarok. Uh, in German, Goddardammerung, Twilight of the Gods, hence the name of the fourth opera, in which basically the world is destroyed, but everything is remade and in this kind of better form. And so what happens, the, the Ragnarok of, of, of Arda, which, like I said, I do not believe we cover in any of the books because it's mostly unpublished, uh, just known through writings by Christopher Tolkien, is that uh, at the end of days, basically Arda will be destroyed the Silmaril will be recovered from the middle of it. The Silmaril will be recovered from the earth, and the Silmaril will be recovered from the sky. From the, sky. the three will return to Valinor, be broken, and the trees shall bloom again. Actually, that was referenced in this where it was like saying how that the only way to find them again was to unmake well, the yes, earth. To unmake so yeah, and was, remake the that world. was referenced in there, and yep. I was like thinking, well, that was them saying it was impossible, but it sounds like I guess it's not impossible. It's just to, to, for that to happen. It just it's takes, gonna be far off in the future. It yeah. takes the destruction and then recreation of all things. Is there yeah. is there like a story that they've that, that that's unpublished or is like written that's about this or something? I only honestly I only know this by reading like from Tolkien fan sites that summarize everything. Yeah, but I you know obviously that information is out there. Most of it's been edited by Christopher Tolkien, and I'm sure it's in one of the. You know, I guess it's like a fifteen more... or twenty books he's published. It's the same, yeah, yeah. That's the same. Same as I, I, I have never read the actual story 
Um, but yeah, I've, I've heard it same as you have through just reference to it. Um, so the, you know, the, the story at least is there and so, uh, well, that's done, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, it's, you know, in some ways it ends on a high note because the Noldor return to the West and the Teleri forgive them. Mm -hmm. And on the other, like Beleriand was destroyed and Middle Earth is kind of in shambles mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know as we know like especially since we are men like that is that is our our land and that is where the stories of the future will come effectively yeah well i feel like if the silmarillion is about elves with a few men dropped in the hobbit and lord of the rings maybe lesser the hobbit but i'm talking about like more like lord of the is more about men with some sprinkling of of elves whereas however though i still don't quite understand where the understand where the hell the hobbits come from i'm pretty sure it's about to be explained though so we see how i really do think they just sprouted out of the earth they come from holes in the ground yeah but i mean i mean the hobbit's all about like the main characters of the hobbit are some dwarves and a hobbit and a a wizard wizard. who whatever i still don't quite understand what wizards are necessarily we won't cover that till the beginning of fellowship of the ring yeah okay and then the other thing is this i'm i'm kind of like this is like a really hard to digest book. Mm-hmm. I am kind of like looking forward to getting to a easier to digest book. Oh yeah, I feel well, like I need to read this again. Again, yeah. anything from it. <laughs> again, you know, the Silmarillion, as we stated at the beginning, is it's very dense and you know it's like rife with mythology and um, you know like genealogy and yeah, anyone who's reading it has to constantly turn back to the appendices and look at all of the different uh, lineages and whatnot because you it's so easy to forget, you know, like who, the one, who comes from where. Like the one thing we got left is a Calabeth and then the thir- the three they're they're uh, the, of the rings of power in the third age. Yeah, that which I'm not necessarily counting because I feel like that's a pure epilogue stuff. Like that oh, yeah. is that is like we threw these in here because we kind of need to. That's going to be our bridge to yeah. uh, the third age. So, and but having like it's like weird. Like I don't feel like I still have a full sense of the Silmarillion, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's really hard having just read it once yeah. to have any great sense of well, it. Well, the important thing that that you should have learned from it, which I think we've basically talked about here. So, so the Silmarillion is the story of the Silmarils, um, and mostly the story of the history of the elves and how the world came into existence and how middle earth began and then how like the elves and the creation of the earth are kind of uh like lo- like they're locked together yeah, yeah definitely um so we we've learned why there's tragedy in the world why there's evil why nobody is so very happy with each other, <laughs> yeah. too. But we, we've also learned, you know, what things we should cherish and treasure in the world. Somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shiny things. Light. The light of the trees. The things that bring light to the world. The sea, which holds the remnants of Iluvatar's song. Oh, that's a good... That's a good way of putting it, where each of where the Simmerillions end up is kind of the things that were very important at the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. However, it does say the the. I, I feel like though the way one was thrown away, I feel like might have a shot at being found again. The one that's uh, in the, the fiery depths yeah. of the earth. I mean, I'm, there's probably nothing to that. <laughs> well, but I feel I mean, like I feel like if this book is kind of like setting up like how 
that story's done. Well, we might not bring it up again. But here, here's the deal. Throughout The Hobbit, one of the things that the dwarves are seeking is the Arkenstone, which is beautiful and glows from within, and they dug up. So it is not ever canonically stated, yes, the Arkenstone is a Silmaril. But it's not a bad idea but to it could think be. about it like that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> also, there's one other thing in this chapter that made sense to something in Lord of the Rings. Um, in the Lord of the Rings... Galadriel gives Frodo this little this little trinket, uh-huh. and it says it's the light of Arendil, one of our most precious stars. And when I read that at the very beginning, I was like, "Well, like, ah-ha, ah-ha, ha. And now that I know where he ends up, <laughs> makes perfect sense. Yep, there, that's that's the Silmarillion. That's how uh, the world was created, and that and, and <laughs> sets up you know everything that's going to happen. How much time next. passed in that book? <laughs> Million a ye- lot. <laughs> several million years. Well, so, furthermore, Irindil and Galadriel are vaguely related. Yep. In that Galadriel is the daughter of Finarfin, and Irindil is the great-grandson of Fingolfin. Which is, furthermore, Elrond, who is uh, the son of Irindil, married Galadriel's daughter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is also something interesting about, like, El... I almost called him Elrond. <laughs> Elrond. Elrond uh, Hubbard. El- Elrond. And uh, Galadriel is when they're referencing these things in the Lord of the Rings. It's kind of fascinating. Because it's like this perspective on being so old. Mm-hmm. They're just going to go ahead and reference it like the myths of the the mortal whatevers that are around them. It's like, oh yeah, it's a star. Even though they knew the person that the star became, like who yep. became the star personally, and yet they're just going to go. You know what? It's so it's so hard to explain this and why I know it. It's like we go, hey, that dude up in the sky. We have this like thing. It's like the light that he threw up there because of whatever. No, it's just easier to go. It's yeah, star. It's a star. whatever. You know, <laughs> just we don't want to blow up your brains right now. We got important things to do. <laughs> yeah, uh, Elrond and Galadriel have seen a lot in their time, and also, they will see a lot. Also, so I guess the orcs. This is like the last little tendril of this. So the orcs still stuck around. Like it says, it sounds like they got eliminated very quickly, but they're probably still like. Okay, most I, I, of them were destroyed in the War of Wrath. Uh-huh. Um, however, you know, some still remained and were kind of you know roaming around. But they weren't as they they weren't as much of a threat because you know the the vast majority of Morgoth's armies were destroyed in that war. Okay, I guess my. My question would almost be, could it be that there were orcs? Could there be orcs that fought at this final fight, ran away, and then end up fighting at Helm's Deep or something? Is that a possibility? Well, no, because Helm's Deep was only Urukai. Oh, okay. And Urukai were bred by Saruman because he basically becomes corrupt and tries to usurp Sauron to become... Oh, However, right. we will see some Balrogs of Morgoth come back that's awesome. later yeah, that's because, true. again, that you know the the few that uh, escaped <laughs> kind of like ran down and hid in the mountains and yes. uh, and like did something with the orcs, like or not the orcs. Um, like there's a reference to, like the dwarves dealing with them. Dwarves, yeah, dwarves have had to beat back uh, Balrogs because story. they you know dwell in the same kind of places. And I feel like a lot of things. I'm like the the few questions I still have remaining mm-hmm. are going to be answered in the very next thing. Yeah, I have that feeling. Yeah, we're or gonna talk about n- we're gonna talk about Numenor next, um, and then after that, we'll talk about uh, the Rings of Power and Sauron, who we've met briefly, but uh, 
We, we need a new big bad. Yeah, well, <laughs> for I read our... I read the very first like few bits of a Calbeth, and I think I already know where that's kind of going. So. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, we will be back with that. And our next time, f- well, our favorite parts. And oh yeah, our favorite parts. I completely forgot about favorite parts. Okay. Um. Oh gosh. Mine just the imagery of Ingolot, like ascending into the heavens and like coming down to slay the dragons. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. so cool. I mean, mine was just the the where the Silmarils ended up. Like, mm-hmm. that was just cool. I didn't expect... I actually didn't expect anything that, like... Like, I expected them to, like, end up somewhere, mm-hmm. but not quite like that. I didn't expect them to just, like, end up in places where no one could get to them ever. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink. In quotation <laughs> marks, get to them ever. Wink, wink. Mine is... I mean, mine's pretty dark. Because I, I, I just feel, again, like, I, I really appreciate... The, the the kind of closing passages in this chapter that remind us that, um, you know, the beginning of the world and the history of the elves is very tragic. Um, you know, there were a lot of horrible things that happened um, because of this oath and the kin slaying and all of the horrendous wars that have come to pass. Um, and, I don't know, it just kind of gives an explanation as to why there's evil things. Um, well, and, <laughs> and I don't know, it's, I mean, it's, it's bittersweet too, because, you know, there's, we're reminded that there are beautiful things, but there's also tragedy and there always will be until, you know, unless things were broken and remade, that's not going to change. Livatar, why'd you make the earth? <laughs> <laughs> well, he had it's a great idea, but Melkor to had fair, to though, go... Straight from the beginning. Lutar's answer would go like, "Well, I had a plan." <laughs> yeah, Lutar's plan like, went through. So you know, if Melkor didn't have to be singing his own tune, y'all learned a lesson, time. right? We're dead. <laughs> oh well, still you learned a lesson, right? Next time, millions of years of history <laughs> about the Numenorians. <laughs> I'm Katie. I'm John. And I read that book. Yay! Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Tolkien. Uh, we are basically done with the Silmarillion. We will be reading the uh, Calabeth, uh, I probably butchered that name, and then a chapter that is detailing the Rings of Power and in the Third Age. You can find more Talking Tolkien by checking out TalkingTolkien.com. That just leads to our page with all of our episodes. You can follow us on iTunes at just searching for Talking Tolkien or the English class, Talking Tolkien. Same goes for Stitcher. We're on Stitcher. Just look for Talking Tolkien. And we are on Facebook and Twitter. Just also look for Talking Tolkien. Thank you for listening. And remember to toast the professor. Professor.